White Rocket Entertainment. White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 395. 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started. All engines are started. We have ignition. 2, 1, 0. We have a liftoff. We have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area. It's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center. It's the second time. It's moving off the path. It is now clear the top. Hello and welcome to the White Rocket Podcast, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with all our great patrons and friends via Patreon.com. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and this is our big final season of Game of Thrones talk. We've been doing this since probably season four or five, and I'm joined as always for our Game of Thrones discussion by John Ringer. Welcome back aboard, John. Thanks for having me, Van. Very excited. So we've been doing this, we'll do usually one, two, three episodes per show whenever our schedule allows, but this season there's only six episodes, so we were going to do every single week, but I got sick last week, you were out of town, so the fates conspired to keep us, but you know what, I think it worked, if we were going to have to miss one and kind of combine them, I think this worked out for the best, because honestly, the very first thought I had about these two episodes, they were really a two-hour, one big two-hour part one and part two, weren't they? Yes, the second, the episode two is kind of a continuation of episode one. It just there was a whole lot of conversations that had to happen before the killing begins, <laughs> right? I mean, this show this season is going to be, you know what we we do our other big show we do is a football show, and you know what they say about football? It's violence punctuated by committee meetings. <laughs> I think this season of Game of Thrones is violence punctuated by committee meetings. And episodes one and two were basically a whole lot of committee meetings that we had to get out of the way, a whole lot of conversations that had to be had so that we could move on to the violence. Now, these I talked about this a little bit on Twitter that, that last couple of days, that these were conversations that had to be had because they've just spent seven years, right? We've just spent seven years and hours and hours of television getting to know all of these characters and getting to know their feelings towards each other, their situation vis-a-vis each other, their relationships with each other. And the thing that struck me, the st- one, of the, one of the things that struck me the strongest about these first two episodes this year has been how many permutations you could come up with, how many combinations you could move the pieces into little groups and, and still have big, big things, you know? Like it's like every character has a really important relationship with at least two other characters. Yes, and and it, relationships that in some cases they're unresolved things that mm-hmm. we need to talk. They need to talk about it. We need to hear about yeah, something and, needs to happen. And how many uh, exactly? And I said the theme. The theme of last night's show was, you know, we have this really, really big, important thing that we need to decide on. And, oh, wait, what? The, the, the White Walkers are here? Never mind. We'll talk about it later. That was like over and over, you know, basically what we kept getting these two episodes is we had this really important thing to talk about. But, oh, wait, first, there's survival. This is, this is like, <laughs> it's like, uh, it's like you're about to get divorced from your wife and kids 
in a, in a rowboat about to go over Niagara Falls. You're like, well, you know, we really do need to dissolve, resolve this situation, but there's other things we kind of need to worry about first, <laughs> or it's not going to matter, you know? And, and, and I feel I mean, like yeah, John I, is the only one saying that. John keeps pointing out, you know, we, we, we got we to gotta worry about these other, this other thing first. Well, and, and I know you're joking a little bit, but I also think that's the reason that John didn't go find Daenerys and tell her is because mm-hmm. like Sam was like, oh, you're waiting for the right moment or being strategic about it. And I think John doesn't expect to live. Yeah. So he's there for what and he fully plans to sacrifice himself to save humanity. Mm-hmm. So he's like, why would I bother telling people this? Yeah, honestly, when he and Danny did have their very, very brief conversation toward the end of episode two. And by the way, we're going to be talking in depth about both episodes. So if you haven't seen them, for God's sake, go watch them before you listen to us talk about them. But, uh, but yeah, but when they had their little brief conversation towards the end there, I felt like the one thing John could have said, like you just said, is he could have just said, you know what, Danny? It doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, it's not that big a deal. And she'd have been like, of course it matters. It's the, the king of the of the, the kingdoms. Mm. And, and he'd have been like, yeah, but that, in, that implies mm, doesn't both. Does, I don't think it does matter. I'm saying it, well, but I'm just saying he'd be like that implies that both of us are still alive after this coming battle, and I yeah I agree with you that I don't think he thinks they're both going to both be alive after this battle. Well, I I don't think it matters even if they are both alive. Um, he's Jon Snow, Aemon Targaryen, super. Is her army going to desert her and go over to him? No. Is Cersei's army army going to desert her and go over to him? No. So it's like the thing with when like Joffrey and Renly and Stannis yes. and everybody else and, you know, and mm-hmm. Rob were all cramming themselves king. Like we're not going to get a bunch of committees of lawyers to choose who has the best claim. Mm-hmm. That's not how this works. So John's claim can be whatever it is. But A, he can't prove it right now. Mm-hmm. And B, he thinks he's going to die anyway. So. Yeah, you're right. That's a very good comparison. I mean, think about this. Who had the stronger claim to the throne when Robert died, Renly or Stannis? Stannis. Stannis. And yet, who did all the armies line up behind? <laughs> Renly. So, uh, until he died. And so, yeah, just because you have a better claim, I mean, John's claim is the same claim as every... And not that he's making it, because he's not. But I'm just saying, if John wanted to press his claim, his claim is the same as everybody else we've seen over the last seven seasons. I mean, if, if there's one thing we've learned on this show, right, it's that just because you have some kind of moral legal claim to something, that doesn't mean a hill of beans if the, if the gods, the armies, the treacherous people, backstabbing people aren't all on your side. I mean, that was the lesson of season one was that, it, that right doesn't matter. You know, in the Game of Thrones universe, right doesn't make might. Right probably gets you killed. Being strategic mm-hmm. is what matters, and being careful and being clever. And even then, it doesn't always work out. Hello, I'm a shout out to uh, Littlefinger. So, um, yeah, I agree that John may have a, a great claim, but that in this world, we've seen that that doesn't matter. What matters is being able to do it. And Danny has gone through all that we've seen her go through. In order to add a piece here, a piece there, right? She added the dragon. She added the Dothraki. She added the the uh, the Unsullied. Unsullied. She added Tyrion. You know, she just keeps adding pieces to her arsenal that she has earned. 
And I don't think John would dispute that. I think John is like, yeah, you know, I may have a stronger claim on paper, but so what? That in this world, that doesn't really seem to hold up a whole lot. You know, it's not worth the paper it's written on, or not written on. So, yeah, it is an interesting thing because we're so, you know, ingrained to think, well, if he's got the greater claim, he should be the king. But not on, not in Westeros, really. Not necessarily. Mm-mm. So. And then there's the whole thing left to left to resolve about them in terms of do does do they still want to be together if they know that they're that closely related or do they kind of like do like Luke and Leia after the first Star Wars movie and go well that was nice you know cousin (laughs) or uncle or aunt or I mean aunt or nephew you know Um, so there's a lot still to be decided if and and by the way let me for for listeners. At the end of this episode, John and I are going to go through all the major and mid-level characters and give our predictions as to whether they survive episode three. So you don't want to miss that. That should be a lot of fun. We haven't we haven't practiced that yet. We're just going to do it off the cuff, what we think about all the main characters as of the end of episode two going through episode three. So, well, let me first lay out quickly that um, our plan going forward is to do one of these shows after the each of the remaining episodes, which is only four more times. So until they write more books, until he publishes another book, we'll be pretty much done with Game of Thrones after a month from now, which is crazy, isn't it? Mm, can't believe it. I can't. I, it's really hard to imagine. Here's the other thing, by the way, talking about next week. We knew that Avengers Endgame would be coming out during Game of Thrones. That was big enough. I knew there was going to be a Friday and a Sunday weekend that were huge. I don't think we could have guessed, and we knew there'd be at least one big battle, right? But I don't think we would have guessed that the great big battle we all knew was coming was going to happen the same weekend Avengers Endgame comes out. So Friday night, I'll be seeing Avengers Endgame. Saturday, I will be recording a massive Avengers Endgame roundtable with whoever from the usual stable I can get on board at the same time. Of course, John, you're of course welcome there. I'll try to get Jim, all the you know, all the usual players that we have on the White Rocket Network, and we'll talk about Avengers Endgame on Saturday, and then on Sunday we've got this giant battle of Winterfell. It looks like so. What a weekend, huh? I mean, last last weekend, seven days ago, we had Formula One, IndyCar, and the Masters, and a couple of other sporting events all at the same time. A weekend ahead from now is like. Geek Apocalypse 2019. <laughs> it is. If I'd have told you, you know, 15 years ago, that Game of Thrones would be one of the greatest TV shows of all time, and the fi- and the peak battle of the final season would come out the same time as the fourth Avengers movie and the <laughs> climax of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is 30 Holy movies, or whatever. Cow. You would say. That's like quit, ha- quit smoking the drugs, John. <laughs> I know. That's I mean that's like having Christmas, Thanksgiving, and the Fourth of July, New Year's all within the same two day, within a forty eight hour period. It's just it's just mm-hmm. too much. It's just let's spread the wealth out a little bit instead of having it all at one well, time. I'm, I'm telling you, it's going to be too much. There's characters that I care about dying. It's going to be too much of that. I'm, I'm well. I'm, I was going to say I'm kind of glad it's in that order because I'd rather see Avengers first and kind of deal with that and then see everybody get killed. So. 
in Game of Thrones. Well, I, I was talking about Avengers too. Oh well, yeah. That's there's, there's a whole <laughs> lot of there's a whole lot of characters we like kind of bite the dust in the next seven days, and it's kind of depressing. Or next six days. Um, uh, let's see. A couple other things. Um, this uh, did, have you did you? I said on Twitter, Carryon Johnson. The Carryon Johnson. For those of you that are Auburn, we have a lot of Auburn listeners, obviously through our football show. Carryon Johnson is the Game of Thrones analyst we never knew we needed, but he's been doing some hilarious tweets about it. So, which we'll, and one of which we'll get to in a little bit. So he's worth following if you don't even like football, just to see his Game of Thrones takes. Um, all right, so the first two episodes, one big extended two-hour period where everybody reunites and has conference, you know, very intense conversations. Um, what did you What did you think overall? First, and we're going to get dig in. I mean i I loved the episode last night, the second episode. I loved that episode. Yeah. Um, easily one of the top three, two or three episodes in the entire show for me. Um, like that and Winds of Winter, the end of season six episode, um, where Cersei, you know, blows up the church and then it ends with Daenerys and the boats coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I, I, the first episode of of this of season eight was a typical start of the se- a season kind of episode where they're moving the pieces around the board, right? Yeah. The characters have to get where they're going. Uh, you know, John and Daenerys' armies had to get back to Winterfell, yep. and the other characters had to arrive. We had to have a bunch of quick reunion kind of things. Well, the and then this episode, season two, the episode two was really the you know, the connections between the characters. And like you said, the kind of the, all the different unresolved relationship issues and things that they needed to talk about and settle. Um, or leave hanging. <laughs> but or at leave least, hanging. But at and, least bring and them I back think up. it was really just hit kind of the perfect notes. Yeah. Um, and you can't have, I know there's some people who just want battles, 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 or, you know, in, you know like Red Wedding every week kind of stuff. But you can't have those things, and they don't matter if you don't care about the characters. Exactly, and they don't—they don't wind you up so that your heart is tied up with characters. And that's what this—that's what this episode did. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, we've had seven seasons to basically get all the characters up to the point where, when they encounter each other, sometimes for the first time in years, you know, it really matters. And, and I'd almost say I may be. There may be a little bit of a generalization here, but it seemed like the first episode this season was the easier reunions. And there were some that were harder, but it was like the happier reunions, the easier reunions. It's kind of like they, uh, I can kind of see Benahoff and Wise sitting down just like the Marvel people did with all the characters on the, on the, on the magnetic board, you know, and mm-hmm. saying, all right, this person needs to meet this person. This person needs to be re- reunited with this one. And then they got to Jamie, <laughs> and they said, "You know, let's save that one for the second episode because, um, because that one's going to take a little more than a hug and a kiss on the head, you know, and a how you been, you know what I mean? Have you killed anybody? You know, that one's going to take a little bit more. Basically, they had to put him on trial. So they, they, they saved some of the harder reunions for, uh, though not all of them, like uh, because the." the because Danny and Jorah meeting Sam in the first episode, mm-hmm. pretty intense. Was tough. Yeah, pretty tough. But um, 
but yeah, they this one. I mean, you know, this one. There's just there's so many. Like I said, you could take any. You can point to any character on the show and say what happens when they encounter this one. And there are very few combinations that you don't go ooh. You know, like like just for example, Arya. Arya gets back with Sansa. That's big. Well, that happened last season. Arya meets the Hound again. That's big. Arya sees Jon again. That's big. You know, over Arya sees Gendry again. It's like it, there's so many permutations for each character that it's really fascinating. And and by the way, did you notice we didn't even see Varys this episode? Did we? I guess he was in the background of the okay. Jamie scene of the trial of Jamie scene. Okay. So he's going to go down to the crypt, I'm assuming. They're, they're putting all the non-combatant types and a few combatants to protect them down in the crypt, which, by the way, I don't think is a great idea. But but anyway, um, more on that coming up. So, did I mean, um, you know, we're completely off the map. We're away from the books at long since. So is this about how you expected it would go so far? What are you thinking? I, I, Again, I... There's some people that claim that like these first two episodes have been too fan servicey. You know what I'm saying? Because there are things that fans wanted to see happen, and they have made them happen. But I also think there, are, you know, character arcs and story arcs that have been going for all these books and all these shows that uh, that needed to be resolved, and we're getting some resolution on a lot of those things now, fast and furiously. Yeah, and I'm happy with it. Again, I'm I was I love. The season, t- the episode two, because it paid off so much of the character development that has been going on for so many years. Well, and you know, I think that it's interesting how so many bad things have happened and so much time has passed on this show now that when a lot of these characters finally do get back together, a lot of that resolution is simply, eh, I forgive you. You know, it's like, it's like the the zombie apocalypse is happening. So you know that thing I wanted to kill you about? Nah, don't worry about it. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but it's true. You know, I mean, like like Arya and the Hound. They're like, yeah, yes, we're good. You know, that's there's, truth. There's there's so many things that like three even three years ago would have resulted in bloody battles, and now it's kind of like now now we know there are some that won't like the Mountain and the Hound. There ain't gonna be no you're forgiven there. That's still gonna come down to. <laughs> That's going to be the duel. But uh, so let's look a little bit into uh, episode one, and then we'll dig on into episode two. So we got the new opening credits. What do you think about the? Uh, they're they're digging down into the crypt. They're flying around. Just a. They're only going like what three or four. They go to the wall. No. They go to the last the wall. Hearth. They go to West Hearth, but they go to Winterfell and and um, and Red. Red Keep, Red Keep uh, like King's Landing, are really the only two places they go. Yeah. And the interesting thing, I think, especially watching it again, is these credits are from the Night King's point of view, I think. Uh, because the camera point of view starts north of the wall. Yes. And comes south through the gap in the wall and then goes to Last Hearth. And you see, the, like, the blue tiles mm-hmm, that go to over. Last Hearth. And now they're going to Winterfell. At the last episode, they almost came to Winterfell, the tiles. So I think those trace the Night King's path. And, um, the, and they go into the crypt. That's what worries mm-hmm. me. That's what I've been worried about for years on this show is... We've got a guy that raises people from the dead and makes them his evil zombie servants, and we've got a whole cave full of dead people that we're supposed to care about. <laughs> and we've got people who are alive that we care about, 
hanging out down there like it's a hotel room. That's just a <laughs> bad combination of factors, John. I the the little things in the opening credits originally were from like Robert's Rebellion, the little symbols, and the, it was supposed yeah. to be like the story of that. Yeah. Um, and now it's kind of the story of like you know the war of the five kings of Daenerys and that kind of stuff. Yeah, the only one I've noticed that I could really see was there's one that has like the dragons and it has the comet. Mm-hmm. The comet was a bigger deal in the books. They just kind of barely mentioned it. it. Seems like in the show, like in season two or something. Yeah, but it it signifies usually a comet signifies change that things are about to happen. You know mythologically so I, I don't know I guess, but it did remind us that the comet had come over and lots of changing so um, some of the things from season one worth noting um, Braun Braun had a great scene a fantastic scene I loved that scene um, he's up to his old tricks literally and and uh, Kyburn comes along with I guess that's the uh the crossbow that Tyrion used to kill his dad. Mm-hmm. And that was Joffrey's crossbow um, before that. Um, wow. And, and a, a wagon full of gold. And offer, and Kyburn uh, says that Cersei wants Bronn to kill the, her brothers. Now, I have a question here. We just have, everybody's been taking that at face value, but J- she. She had the opportunity to kill each of them not that long ago. And she chose to let them both go. And then off camera, she's decided on second thought, I want them both dead. I mean, I guess, but doesn't it seem like we needed a scene where she she got together with Kyburn and said, you know what, I've changed my mind. I, I just It just feels kind of well, weird no, to not have no, her I, involved. I, 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 buy, I mean, again, she wanted Tyrion dead the whole time. Yeah, that, her point of view, and I think she wanted Jamie dead, and I think you know maybe she thought he wouldn't really leave or something. Um, but no, I think she likes this kind of thing because again, here's the other part of this scenario: it gets rid of Bronn, like yeah. he's out of the way; he's not hanging around in King's Landing where potentially he could go back at work for the brothers. He's going to die in the attempt, or he's going to kill them. It's kind of a win-win for her. Is there any chance he's actually going to try to do it? Because I, I just think there's no way. <laughs> yes, there's a chance. Um, Braun isn't like other characters in the in the story. That's okay? true. That's he true. is a absolutely cold-blooded mercenary. And there's a point in the books when they... Cersei orders the, the the gold cloaks of King's Landing to kill all Robert Baratheon's bastards, and they do it. And th- this happens in the TV show, too. They kill all the bastards, including some babies, some infants. Mm-hmm. And Tyrion is just horrified by this when he learns about it. And he asks Bronn, he says, if I asked you to kill a baby, I'd kill an infant, um, would you do it without question? And Bronn says... Not without question, I'd ask how much. Oh God, jeez. So I so again, like I we've had the like especially in the TV show we've had the like the Braun Jamie yeah. buddy comedy with the Dorn and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. I mean that's not in the books, but I so I think 
you know, you were, we like Braun and he likes them a lot more in the TV show than in the books. But I, I so I still think there's a chance that he does it. But I, I don't I think he's not going to do it. I could see George in the books having that happen just because that's the kind of crap he does in the books, you know, is go, ha ha, take this, you poor readers, ha ha. Whereas the TV show, particularly since they've been past the books, the existing books, these guys seem a little more conventional. You know, it's kind of like as soon as they took over from George, it's like everything got a bit, not bad, everything stayed great, but it got a little more conventional, like, the good guys do more good guy stuff. The bad guys do more bad guy stuff. There's not, it just, maybe I'm crazy, but it seems to me like there's a little less shades of gray. And that would be a very gray thing. I mean, and mm-hmm. it, it, it would be a black, it would be a terrible thing for Braun to do, but it would be a very gray character thing for him because it's kind of like on the TV show, they more or less decided he's a good guy, quote unquote, like a TV good guy. Again, in the mm. books, everybody's gray. You can't even say it. But on the TV show, it's kind of like he's TV show good guy now, and so I would be shocked if TV Braun did something that shocking. I just yes. I don't I don't see. Okay. Um, now you had a question about the dragons and John. So is John, is the other dragon Rhaegal, um now bonded to John? Um, in the you know especially the. Uh, George R. R. Martin came out with the other book this year, that not the book we wanted, but this book about the history of the Targaryens. Yeah. And in there, one of the things that happens is that you have to a you have to have Targaryen blood, you know, or Valerian blood to, but really Targaryen blood to ride a dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also the dragon is bonded to the rider for life, for the rider's life. The dragons live sometimes, you know much, much longer than humans. So they could have multiple riders over their lifetimes, but they won't take another rider while that person is still alive. So, and why would Daenerys let Jon ride the dragon knowing that the dragon, A, the dragon might kill him or whatever. Right. And B, this the dragon might then be bonded to him and she's kind of giving it away. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't... Has the TV show gone into that as much? I'm not... No. Just, I'm going to say... Not I, at all. It's been a long time since I read the books. And I don't remember all the dragons, dragon lore very clearly. So I trust you on that. But um, I thought John was just going to die riding the dragon. He's going to fall off. I mean, there was no seatbelt. Well, there was no saddle, you know? I mean... Th- this is another another book thing, is that in the books, Tyrion, you know, studies old books from the Targaryens and has them make dragon saddles. Yeah. Yeah, so that they know, yeah. But, yeah, he just was, like, hanging on for dear life, and I kept... And, and, and that thing was changing direction and changing mm-hmm. altitude rapidly, and I'm thinking, oh, he'd have fallen off, you know? It's a miracle he's hanging on, because he's... He's just like hanging on to the little spines or whatever by for, for how who knows how slick they are, you know. So, yeah, it scared me to death. I, <laughs> I'm sure that my wife was enjoying that scene, going, "Yay, wow, ride the dragons!" And I'm just sitting there going, "Oh God, he's gonna fall off." <laughs> I can't watch. Um, he may die, but he's not gonna die from stupidity by falling off the back of a dragon. I yeah, 
I felt like when when at the and we keep referring back to this scene because it was in some ways one of the bigger scenes of the two episodes. But at the end, when when Jamie, I mean, when John finally breaks the news to Danny um, about his lineage, she first was you know throwing out very logical questions and doubts. You know, mm-hmm. she she was right. But then I kept thinking in her behind her eyes. At one point, she's thinking, "Oh, the dragons like him." You know, that had to cross her mind, didn't it? Sure. And I think maybe subconsciously, like you know, she was like, "The dragons think he's okay, therefore he's okay." And now she's like, "The dragons think he's okay because he's my freaking nephew." Yep. <laughs> so yeah. Um, there's no elephants, John. <laughs> Cersei ordered elephants. They did not get elephants. Um, she did get the Golden Company. Yep. Um, who's get, there to defend her? But will she, will she get a refund on the elephants? Did she I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. She's, um, on, she's on customer service. Kyvern, get me a raven. I got to contact customer service. <laughs> you know, I guess the the CGI budget is not unlimited. No. Um, so it's. We're spending it all on the undead and the dragons or whatever, and can't can't afford elephants. So and and because we let's put it this way: Would you rather have a couple of gratuitous elephant scenes that everybody would be comparing to Return <laughs> of the King, right? Yes, everybody. It's very true. Would, or would you like to have Ghost back? Thank you. We got Ghost. We got Ghost. I was so excited. Everybody was going crazy. There was a great tweet where somebody said, you know, all this big stuff happens and everybody's going crazy over the dog. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, we all love Ghost. I, he was my first little um, Funko Pop we had on our TV was Ghost. Now we got like 50, but, you know, he was the first one. So um, so what's Cersei planning to do for real? I mean, what do you think she's actually up to? That's a good question. I I don't think that she's going to come north. I think she's going to stay put and keep the Golden Company around her. Uh, Basically, you know, maybe she tries to retake some of the other castles between her and the north. Um, But I don't think she's going to spread out and dilute her strength. One of the things she's learned over time is, you know, keep your armies close. Yeah. Because um, she's been out without an army too much during the story. So I think she's going to keep everybody very close, and she's going to stay at King's Landing. And I think uh, eventually that's where the you know the good guys or the Night King or whoever is going to have to go because she's going to be there. If he's still extant at that point. Mm-hmm. Is Casterly Rock like empty now? Didn't the Lannisters desert it, and then Grey Worm's army showed up, and there was nobody there, and they deserted, and it's just sitting empty or something? Yeah, I, I don't. Did they leave a hundred guys there to hold it? I, you know, I know. that's what it, it seems to make sense to me, right? Yeah, you would think you would because it's a it's a very secure location. Hmm. Um. Yeah, there's a, there's an alternate. You know, version of this where we actually see the White Walkers assault all the cool fortresses in the South, and it really would be interesting to see what they could do with with uh, King's Landing and with uh, the, the Erie. The oh gosh, that that would be the hardest one. Well, even more than Castle Castle Rock, the the Erie would be man. But you know, they'd find a way, and and, and using their air force would be part of it probably. 
Yeah. I, don't you think that the that the Night King assumes that when he's finished with Winterfell, he's going to have three ice dragons? Yeah, I think I'm sure he or he'll have the only one in his mind, maybe. Yeah. Well, he'll raise the other ones if he kills them. I mean, they're either going to be alive and fighting him, or they're going to be dead. And on his—that's the thing about his side—is you either are alive and fighting him, or you're on his side. There's no other it's option. True. There's no There's other no option. C. There's no, no there, C. you either fight him or run away, or else you're on his side. So, in fact, they stated that I thought in this episode very well when they when they meet up with Tormund and that crowd that came down from the last hearth. And he says the Umbers are now fighting on his on the Night King's side. I thought that's just a very very succinct way of putting it, you know. So you're you're either fighting them or you're on their side. So, um, anything else we want to hit about just episode one before we kind of open it up into episode two and the whole situation up to now? Nope. No. Um. Which ended up, by the way, being called Winterfell. And honestly, both of these episodes could be called... Actually, the next... All three of these episodes probably could be called <laughs> Winterfell. Um, and, and did you see... I was going to ask you this. Did you see that the there's a special feature out, maybe on YouTube or it may be on HBO or whatever, where they showed how much construction they put into building this new Winterfell set for Season 8? Because they showed that like in previous seasons when they've shown Winterfell, it's been a very small little section of the, mm-hmm. of, of the city-slash-castle. They expanded it out and built like the whole thing just about, including, they said they even had to build the northern side, which they haven't really shown before, because that's the side where the White Walkers are coming. So they had to show both exteriors, the, the top, the, the north and the south. So they had to build a lot of it. It's just this huge, they need to leave it and let people come visit it, you know, kind of like uh, Middle Earth, the Tolkien thing. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. Um, that's why they needed so much they could only make six episodes. It cost a fortune to build all this crap. Okay, well, before we get into episode two, I just got to take a second to thank our patrons. Uh, this is the White Rocket podcast, but we are part of the White Rocket Entertainment Network, a number of shows. This particular channel, just for those who only tune in for, for, the, for the Game of Thrones shows, if you're, just so you'll know what else we have on offer here, in this very podcast stream, in other words, if you subscribe to this series... You will get our shows about Game of Thrones, but also we have the Avengers shows, the Marvel Cinematic Universe shows uh, that come through here, as well as Open Wheel, where Alan Porter and I talk about uh, racing very rarely, but occasionally. We cover books, movies, TV, all kinds of pop culture stuff in the White Rocket Entertainment show. We have the AU Wishbone, which is a totally separate show for Auburn football, for those of you into that. And, of course, we have Honor Majesty's Secret Podcast, a whole other separate network stream from White Rocket just for our James Bond programming, where we have Raymond Benson's uh, monthly uh, Bond, the music of Bond shows, talking about the music of the movies. Uh, John and Jared Albrick and I have been doing our James Bond uh, World Cup Battle of the Movies. We still got to finish that. And every month, um, Alan Porter of the Bond Lexicon and I review a Bond movie. And every month, Jared and his crew do the Rookie Agents review of the same Bond movie, working our way through the entire series. So there's lots of good podcast stuff from from White Rocket Entertainment. And to keep all these shows on the air and keep us going, we have our Patreon account. So if you want to help keep shows like this going, just go to uh, patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com, and just search White Rocket or Van Plexico. 
and it'll take you right there. You can also go to plexico.net if you want to go to my website. It has links to all of our shows and all of our books and everything. P-L-E-X-I-C-O.net. And these are our great sponsors that that currently are doing their part to keep us on the air for just as little as a dollar a month. And they get all sorts of things in return. You get um, uh, members-only shows and videos, discounts on our books and things, early looks at our artwork and, and books and uh just a whole, lot, a whole lot of stuff that only our members get. Plus, you get to make sure these shows keep going. Uh, our current patrons include Brendan O'Dwyer, Samuel Salvatore, Christopher Burleson, Carl Von Drunker, and Phil Amthor. And then we have Winston Body, Willie Carden, Susan Trawick, Ben Spooner, Stephen Thompson, Chris Usher, Justin Bean, Steve Trawick, Richard Stevens, uh, Robert Mendenhall, Johnny Caldwell, Reynolds Wolf, Joshua Corbett, Valiant Hermes, Jacob and Robin Fleming, Clay Henson, Ann Kangian, Catherine England, George Gaston, Will Summerford, John McCune, Tom Anderson, David Evers, Andrew Barber, Timothy, Steve Harlan, Dan Thompson, Wes Atkinson, Rich Reimer, Jared Albrecht, William Glenn Matthews, Joel Beckham, Theodore Gary, Shannon Butson, Taylor, David Hegler, Mickey B, Hugh Anderson, Shane Bailey, Mick Vigicana, Chris Thrash, Logan Chilton, Tony Perry, Alex Wynn, Josh Teal, David Simpson, Earl Ricks, Mike Finley, C.T. Wayne, and Dave Powell. And then we have in our last group, Jeremy Minton, Lane Middleton, Donnie Reynolds, Wade Carson, Ivor Evans, John Zavachin, Chris Camo, Darren Pyle, Chris, Wardam Wade, Jason Albrecht, Randall Walker, Ben Amos, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, Patrick Williams, Rob Morgan, Stephen Schuster, James Taylor, John Stubbs, Kenneth Brent Rains, Nicholas Craig, Russell Milling, Matthew Wagstaff, Joey Miller, Mark Squire, Almost Done, Spanky, Brant Rumble, J.W. Rice, Michael Morton, Lawrence Kane, and our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all. So for as little as a dollar a month, you, too, can be part of the White Rocket Entertainment family and help keep these shows going. We currently have, I believe, 82 patrons. We'd really like to get to 100 by the summer. So jump on aboard. Now, John, we had episode two come along last night, and I was cackling madly for about an hour after that episode was over. Um there were a lot of big moments. These were a lot of moments that involved characters, again, meeting up, but there were some really tense ones. I guess really starting out with um, Jamie arrives and goes on trial. What did you make of that whole... Because I thought the most, the most intense part of that, he, he was very lackadaisical about it. He seemed like you know he knew things were going to work out the way they worked out, and he was just going to put his case out there and see what happened. But I thought that the real fulcrum of that scene was Danny. Because she had what she wanted to do, kill him. And then she had, like everybody else, kind of peer pressure on her. No, we need to let him live. What did you make of that? I thought it was a good scene because, again, like you put on the opening, there's so many connections between so many of the characters. Mm -hmm. And in this case, Jamie's separate interactions with so many of the different people in that room really influence how they feel about him. Yeah. And again, it, the truth about what Jamie, why Jamie killed her father is not something that anybody knows besides Brianne. And he needs to tell people, I feel like he needs to go around. He needs to have it printed out on some cards and just hand that out every time he meets people. Hi, I'm the Kingslayer, but here's why. But I think it's one of those things like, if people aren't ever going to 
it doesn't matter. Do you know what I'm saying? Because he was a knight of the king's guard, and he swore his life to obey the king and to live and die protecting the king. That's what he swore. Yeah. And then he didn't do that. So it, he, the rest is just kind of hand-waving about why. And it, he had a good reason. And he was saved a lot of innocent people by doing that. But he, I think it's a lot of, again, about the who Jamie really is versus this kind of person that he is when he's around Cersei or and being with Cersei in a relationship with Cersei. Um and I think he has kind of rediscovered who he really was when he was around Brienne. Yeah. But now in, in this scene where he's on trial, I agree, like that would have been – but again, he can't prove it, 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 so it doesn't matter. I mean there's no evidence of that. Yeah. It's just his story. That's true. That's true. Yeah, it really came down not so much to his, to the reasons why as is there anybody here that would vouch for you with their life? And there was. Other than Tyrion. Yeah, well, right. I mean, yeah, he... Well, and Danny made quick work of that. Tyrion's like, well, you know, he's a good guy. We need him. And she's like, well, of course you'd say that, you know, basically. So <laughs> is there anybody here that, you know... And and then... But Danny has no reason to trust Brienne, but Sansa does. And then Brienne... Mm-hmm. And so, again, this puts Danny on the spot because she doesn't know Brienne from a hole in the wall. But yet she really is trying hard in this. I thought it was really interesting how, how Danny was trying really hard in this episode to make things, to smooth things over with Sansa. Yes. And this was part of it. Letting Jamie live was kind of a f- throwing a bone to Sansa in a way, right? Indirectly. Because Sansa yes. backed up Brienne and Brienne backed up Jamie. So she's trying really hard and she tries really hard. And when she put her hand on Sansa's hand and they had that little moment. I'm like, oh, we're so close, we're so close, and then it comes back to Danny's blind spot. Danny's blind spot is she's been enlightened by everything else, right? She's been so enlightened by everything she's experienced, from the Dothraki to the slaver people to you know all the assassins that tried to kill her, the sorcerer people that tried. There's been so much that happened to her that's enlightened her and made her a better person than maybe her some of her family used to be. And that's what Tyrion sees in her. And that's what John sees in her, right? John and Tyrion both look at Danny and they see what they may not know everything she's gone through, but they can see the result of it when they talk to her, when they look at her, right? That's what they that's what they see when they look at her, and it's why they are pledged to her. And the but the one blind spot she still has is that for all of her talk about breaking the wheel, for all of Danny's big talk about I'm gonna be different. With her, she's still, when it comes down to cases, she's still in that mindset of, I'm going to sit the Iron Throne because it's my turn, damn it. And I just, I feel like that's the one character transformation we still need her to make. Her story, John, is still not over, and we've seen that in these two episodes, right? You know, it, w- it would have been easy to look at Danny and say her character transformation in the story ended at the end of like season six or season seven, and now she's just become a tool for defeating the bad guys. But I don't think that's true <laughs> because the best characters keep transforming themselves until the end of their story. They don't just reach a conclusion and just become. A blunt well, instrument. You know what I mean? And she's not done transforming until she's willing to say, 
I don't have to sit that Iron Throne. Uh, but I think she's already done that because she's here at Winterfell. If if that was her thing and that's all she cared about, she wouldn't be there. And she, thanks she to John. and her army would be sacking King's Landing right now. Well, and that's what she said, right? She said, "I want to be down there sacking King's Landing and killing Cersei, but I'm here because of John." But then Sansa's like, but what about us afterward? And then she's like, well, you're back to being my vassal again. You see what I mean? She, she's she got yeah, it, but and then it slips away from her. She just can't not say that yet. This is her being inconsistent, though, because yes. you know, Yara Greyjoy asked for them to be independent, and she was like, yes, it's fine. You can be an independent kingdom. The, the, the Iron Islands can. And so... But, why not the North? Well, at that point, she's she's hemorrhaging kingdoms. Well, but uh, no, she she told people at the time. She said in the TV show at the time, if other people ask nicely, we'll see. So is she just waiting on Sansa to ask nicely? <laughs> well, again, I just think that that's the thing. That's the corner she still has to turn, and I'm fine mm-hmm. with that because I want to see more improvement and more change, right? We She still got that stick up her butt. You know, she's still a little haughty for a hero. She still needs that one more moment where she's like, you know what? Uh, what's the name of her dragon, the main one that she rides? Drogon. Drogon. She still needs that moment where she busts into the Red Keep and Jamie or whoever kills Cersei. And then she looks at the Iron Throne and she starts to set her butt on it. And then she says, Drogon, snap, Dragaris. And he just melts that thing. And she just walks away like, you know what? Screw it. That's and set up a parliament. <laughs> you know, that's what I feel like I feel like I need to see by the end of these remaining four episodes is her get the throne in her hand and then say, "You know what? We're going to melt it down to a puddle of grease and I'm just going to go off and and do whatever." I don't you know, maybe rule as an enlightened monarch, who knows, but just the whole I want to sit the iron throne because me 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 that is not worthy of her. She she needs to be better than that, I think. I I think she I think she will be. I mean, she's talked about breaking the wheel, not well, just sitting on top of the wheel. Exactly. I think she's planning to do that. So, so why does she basically tell Danny, I want to sit on top of the wheel and you're going to be on the bottom? Well, she has to get I mean, there Sansa, first. Sansa. I meant Sansa. Did I say Danny? I meant Sansa. Why does she, Danny tell Sansa basically the worst possible thing she could say there? Because, again, she has to get there first. When she wins, then she can have that conversation. But I think, like, I, to me, again, Sansa said the right thing, which was I should have got down on my knees and thanked you the minute you walked through the door. That's mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah. Because they wouldn't last five minutes without her. That's right. So they're getting closer. They just can't quite seal the deal. Because yep. Sansa wants a Sansa wants an independent North. She wanted an independent North where John is kind of like the the John is kind of like the the Secretary General of the Soviet Union, and she's the Governor President of Russia. You know what I mean? That was the impression I got. She would be the Lady of Winterfell, running Winterfell and its environs, and John would be King of the North, and anybody else would be off in 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 King's Landing, minding their own business and not messing with the cold places. Is that about how you see it? That's it. Yeah. So, well, 
All right, so let's see. Um, we got to talk about Brienne getting knighted. We're not going in chronological order so much as just some of the big things that happened in episode two. Brienne got knighted. I mean, that's one of those things that just seemed like such a natural. I almost didn't realize that it hadn't ever really happened before. But it, it had to happen. One of the big themes of the shows and the books is knighthood and what it means mm-hmm. and kind of who's a knight mm-hmm. in name and who's a knight in actions, kind of. Um, because again, uh, the mountain is a knight. And yeah. <laughs> the hound is not a knight. You know, Brian, so the mountain is a knight and Brian is not a knight. Um, you know, Jamie, when he pushed the boy out of the window, was a knight. Yeah. Um, wow. But again, like Barrison Selmy was a knight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I, it's a really good kind of thing they do throughout the show about who is a who's a knight and who's not a knight and why and kind of what it means to them. But you knew from the beginning that this really was Brienne's dream, that she wanted to be seen like any other knight. All she wanted to do is be honorable and protect people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so it was, a, it was a great, great moment, and I was so happy for her. One of the absolute themes, if there's like two or three just major themes to this show – one of them is entitled men that get everything handed to them are usually crap and long suffering women that have to put up with all that crap usually end up learning from it and becoming much better people at the end. You know, it's, we've seen it over and over and over. I mean, how many men started out on this show and are now dead and how many of the put upon women around them are now the main characters, right? It's just, it's amazing. It's true. You know, think about it. Not all the women made it, like Caitlin, and and some of the men were good, like John and Davos and Tyrion. But define good. But uh, but uh, but you know, overall, this has been a really, a, this has really been a story about how when you go through all this pain and suffering, what does it make you? Does it make you a better person or a worse person? I would argue it made Cersei a worse person, a more effective leader, but a worse person. But uh, in the case of like Danny and Sansa, a better person. In the case of Arya, a different, <laughs> a different person. You know, so it really has been an amazing story of character transformation. I think. Um, Let's see, what else did, uh, we've already talked about John and Danny's big talk at the end, interrupted as always. Oh, oh, Bran and the Night King. I mean, there's a lot going on there, and, and this time we found out that one of the Night King's big objectives in his existence is to kill the three-eyed raven. raven. Yeah. And and we, again, we, the, the Night King's never spoken, we have no idea what his real objective is, um... And Bran, you know, at the War Council, Bran says that his objective is to kill the Three-Eyed Raven because his overall goal is to erase the memory of men and create the Long Night. Mm-hmm. So, well, let me ask you this: I was going to ask you this if we'd done a first episode, and I really wonder it now. Although now I wonder if it's not too late to happen. I was going to say to you that after that first episode, what this show really needed was about half of an episode where we get a flashback 
of the Night King, because all we've had of him so far, other than just kind of commanding the zombie army, was that one little scene where he's created, right, by the children of the forest. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so it's hard to have an antagonist that's a blank slate. He has no person. He's a robot. And I mean, he, he is he is a force of nature. Yeah, I, I told my wife. I said, "There's almost no difference between what's happening now on this show and if a hurricane was coming." Mm-hmm. He has all the personality of a hurricane, extremely frightening and dangerous, but yet just a thing, you know. And you know the the comparison I made. And let me quickly back you know my backstory on this show and the books. I first started reading the books around 2000 when the the second book was in, just come out in paperback, and the third book was about to come out in hardback. That's when I started reading them was when the third book, Storm of Swords, was about to come out in hardback because I have a hardback of it right down here at my right foot. And, and what happened was a good friend of mine that I'd known for years that knew what I liked, this was back you know, in 2000, just two years after Babylon 5 had gone off the air. And he said, this is like the fantasy Babylon 5. And I think what he meant at the time was, you know, people die unexpectedly and it's one big story and all, you know, it's a serial and all that. And that was true. And that's what got me to read it. But, but he, he was more right, I think, than he knew back then because the army of the dead, the White Walkers, the Night King and all are very similar to the shadows. I've made this comparison before on here. Um, and I also raised this point with the guys that do the Bald Move uh, Game of Thrones show and had them talk about it a little bit, um, that, the, that they're like the shadows in Babylon 5. They're this big, scary, alien enemy that's approaching, but they don't have any personality. And what Babylon 5 did was they took this one episode right before the big war, okay, the Shadow War, they had this one episode where Bruce Boxleitner's character actually went to the Shadow's home planet and met with their sort of representatives, you know, and got their side of the story. And, you know, and then he more or less kind of escapes and, and is able to lead the army of light against the darkness. But at least now we know what we're fighting, you know. Whereas I still feel like, I mean, I know what they're about, obviously. We all know what the, the White Walkers and the Whites and all that and the Night King, we, we know what they do. We know what they're like. But we don't have much of a motivation or a personality with it. Do we need that, or are they more like the dead on The Walking Dead that you just—they're just, they're just a, uh, an obstacle to overcome? It's a good question, and I wonder again. And even as far as the books have gotten, we don't know anything else about them or their motivations. The Night King is a character does not appear in the books to this point. Oh yeah, uh, that's right. Wow. So that's, we literally know nothing more about them at that's all. Interesting, John. I forgot that he hadn't been on the in the books. What do you make of that? I mean, is, is, is this the, the Benahoff and Weiss inventing, is he, is he on the show, the bullseye you shoot at? And they've certainly been painting a bullseye on him in the conversations, right? You know what I mean? Like John said, you kill him and that's pretty much takes care of the whole army. I, I feel like they're leaving the clues. They're teeing this up for us. Sure. He's the he's the he's the exhaust port on the Death Star. <clears throat> he is, and I and so I I think that we don't have time in the show show time that's left to get his backstory. 
I just don't think we do. Yeah. There may be some point, you know, in the middle of the battle where he and Bran are engaged in some death struggle and there's like a Bran sees two minutes of him. Of yeah. Night King. Yep. But again, I, I don't think we're going to get any more than we have. really, And I don't think we need any more. I think, okay. I mean, again, I think, you know, hard home showed you what the army of the dead is and how it works and mm-hmm. how scary it is or whatever. And I don't think that's all you need. Well, since the Benahoff and Weiss took over from Martin, this more or less, this show doesn't waste any dialogue. It doesn't waste a minute. Everything is vital. So when they tell us, when they slap us in the face and say, hey, hey, pay attention. When you take down the, the Night King, that takes down the army. We needed to know that in advance. They're not just flapping their gums there. Mm-hmm. So, and they even have now laid a trap for him. What do you make of that? I, I mean, again, I think that's a good idea. In this, in the, you can't think about fighting the this army, the undead army, like you fight a traditional battle, right? Right. right. Because the the regular blind soldiers don't matter at all. Z, the regular undead whites, whatever, are, are zero in terms of winning the battle. They literally have no – killing one of them has no value at all. The only thing that matters is killing White Walkers, mm-hmm. killing the, the leader guys. Mm-hmm. And you saw in the in this – you know, the very last shot of the season of, of episode two when they showed their horses, we've only seen it most like four or five of them before. And there was like 30 on horses there. Dang. Yeah. So – I. It, in my mind, like you, ha- it, I like the trap idea because again, they have to try to kill the leaders of the of the enemy army. Now, that, they're going to try to lure him to Bran and then get him with the dragons. But at the same time, like I think the battle outside the walls against the regular part of the army, they need to do these kind of things where they clear out the 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 regular undead people. So that the guys who have a chance against, you know, the the White Walkers, the, you know, whoever, the Juras, the Hounds, the yeah. whoever, can get to those guys and kill them with the John the, with the Valyrian swords or whatever. Mm-hmm. So basically, you have like your pawns, which are the regular Whites against like the Unsullied, the Dothraki, and the Stark armies and all that. Then you have like your bishops and rooks and knights, which are like Jorah and the Hound and Dondarrion and those guys, Arya basically, versus the White Walkers because they're the ones that have the Valyrian steel. And then you have the absolute capital pieces, which are like the Night King and the and the Ice Dragon versus Danny and Bran and John and the two dragons, right? So, I mean, it's like three levels of conflict going on simultaneously. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, like, I, in terms of, I don't think they would do it this way, but in terms of, like, if you were actually playing in this battle, you wouldn't plan it like you would plan, for example, the Battle of the Bastards and the way you laid your forces out. Because it literally does not matter if you kill one white. Um the way you'd really want to do it is use – I mean – and the other thing that really is why fight outside the walls at all, right? 
and you, mm-hmm. the reason to do that is number one because the army is so freaking big that they'll just wash over the wall and then you got real pro- and then they're behind you but yeah the 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 two big forces you have you have the dothraki and you have the knights of the vale um and those are the and especially like the knights of the vale the heavy cavalry and the armor and stuff with the armored horses you could drive a wedge into the enemy army with all the whites and get to the white walkers and have like a you know them kind of doing the, like a v wedge kind of thing and then have the the hero guys coming in kind of right behind them ready to fight the white walkers anyhow that's my idea i like it yeah 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 i tell you what they needed the they needed in in a lot of ways they needed the white walkers to hurry on down because this is a whole lot of people living off of they even referenced it briefly. You know, Sansa said, I didn't lay in enough supplies for five armies or whatever, but but that's what she's got. I mean, we forget the Vale army's still there, and the Stark mm-hmm. forces are there, the Unsullied, the Dothraki. There's a lot of troops there, and that's a lot of food on a daily basis. <laughs> so um, you got to imagine if the White Walkers just said, you know, let's just stop for a while. Let's just wait for like a couple what? of months. And I really love how in the back, and they've had all these scenes in episode one and two of people talking and walking around the castle. And in the background, it's constant activity. Yeah. And the activity is, you know, building fortifications, mm. you know, built, digging trenches, um, building, you know, kind of these tank trap looking giant cow trap things with the dragon glass on them yep. to be barriers. Um, and But then also like training the regular people. To be like soldiers. Now they're not going to be like good soldiers, but teaching them. You could. There's scenes in the background where they're teaching them how to use a sword and a spear mm-hmm. uh, to fight. There's a lot of the two towers, Helm's Deep, mm-hmm. in, in this. That's the one. People compare it to Return of the King, but it really reminds me more of the battle at at, at Helm's Deep in the two towers. The, a lot about it does, but we'll see. Um, uh, but then, but then it had the return of the king moment when, yeah. when uh, he started singing. Yes, it did. Yeah, that's right. When Pod starts singing his song, yeah. Didn't you love that scene where it starts out with just like a couple of people? Was it like Jamie and Tyrion Jamie first? Jamie Tyrion by the fire, and, and people then just expands. it just keeps growing and growing. Next thing you got this whole big crowd of people sitting around. I love that. I mean. It's 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 a, it's an interesting dynamic in the second episode where when everybody knows they're probably about to die, they just kind of let their hair down and the things that they wouldn't have deigned to be involved in normally, they're just like you know that's fine. I'll sit around here with these people and drink and sing. That's fine. You know it's it's really neat. It's it's interesting to see what imminent death brings out in people. You know. <laughs> yes. And speaking of whom, I guess we got to address it: Arya and Gendry. Now I've seen a lot of people on Twitter recoiling in horror at that. Carrie on Johnson for what? Well, because I think it's because we've known her since she was a little tiny girl, and it just seems kind of like ah, you know. But you know, I mean, I I don't blame them a bit. I'm like, why wouldn't they do that? You know, they've always liked each other, and and obviously that's even more now, and they think they're about to die, and. I mean, you know, everything Ari has been through, let the poor girl have some, have a little fun in her life, you know, before it's over, if that's what's going to happen. So, we're at season eight of the show. She's, <laughs> yeah. you know, 
She's a she's a grown up at this point. She's an adult. She's yeah, certainly so I, she's killed a lot more people than most adults anyway. So well, and and again, like I the when they parted from each other before, mm-hmm. you know, he chose to stay with the Brotherhood, and she was really upset with him because she wanted the two of them to be together. You know, she said, he said, you know, I could I'm staying with them because. Uh, they're you know they're a family or whatever and she said we could be a family oh yeah yeah that's a good point yeah so we'll see but i'm i hope that they make it i certainly do everybody loves them um uh is theon gonna end up killing the night king since he's gonna be there with bran that would be how weird would it be if theon was involved was was the guy i i Zero percent chance. Theon is there to die. Um, he's a hundred. We're going to talk our predictions yeah, later, but I'm telling you, I'm calling it now. Theon is going to die. Now, maybe he dies like saving Bran. He jumps in front of Bran to save him or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I and I think it's part of the Theon redemption thing. I, it feels a little rushed to me. Like, and I know they started it last season or whatever, but the whole Theon, we forgive him, it's okay now thing feels a little bit rushed to me. Yeah, you know, but the, the one that worked for me, though, was when he came in and Sansa got up and hugged him. When when Sansa hugged him, that I felt that. And I looked at my wife and I said, you know, Theon has been through more crap than just about anybody on this show, and that's saying something. Because he really has suffered, and he deserved it a, a lot of it. I mean, you know, he he got what he you know he he got what he had coming a lot of the way. He's just gotten a lot. Uh, he got what he had coming more than a lot of the way. I mean, he did terrible things, but he suffered. He certainly did terribly. Yeah. Um. So I yeah. Uh. I like <laughs> you're tired of Tyrion's losing streak. I think Danny is tired of of Tyrion's losing streak. He almost got his. I, I was. Lip. Yes, I was very happy to see people stick up for Tyrion. I'm tired. I mean, again, I'm I'm love Tyrion. I'm tired of Tyrion looking like an idiot on the show. One, he needs to he needs to do something smart, save everybody's bacon. He does. Well, he's done it before. We know he's got it in him. Um, the Mormons. We had a Jora and Lyanna. I thought that was interesting because up until last week, I had forgotten they were related <laughs> because you, they are so not connected to each other on sure. the show, but. Yeah, and and in fact, I had forgotten that 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 the other Mormon was the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. So he, the Jorah Mormont, Gior Mormont, was the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch. That was his father, mm-hmm. and his sister ruled Bear Island after that. And Leanna is her daughter. Yeah, that was why it was neat when when. Um, when Sam gave that sword, his family sword, to he, he lent it to Jorah. I, I assume Jorah knows it's just borrowing. He has to give it back. Uh, when he let Jorah borrow it, uh, he said that Jorah's brother? Was that his brother, his uncle? I forget. Father. Father, okay. Had taught him you know, everything, had helped, made him a man and everything. And so I'm like, oh yeah. So they were. I'd forgotten that there's the little girl, there's Jorah, and there was the old man. They were all part of the same family. That because again, they were all so spread out and disconnected. You know, most people just look at her as as the little smart little girl that talks back to everybody, and she is and I, awesome. I love her. 
Yeah. She's awesome. Yeah, because nobody... Who was it trying? Yeah, because like Jorah was like telling her, "Now you, you little girl, you need to go down in the crypt." She's like, "I'm gonna be out kicking butt. I don't know about you, man." <laughs> He's like, "Okay, fine." <laughs> and she says, "Good luck, cousin," or something like that. So she, she, uh, that was just interesting. So let's see any other moments from uh, episode two that we've missed. I'm trying to think if there's we've we've talked about John and Danny at the end already a pretty good bit. I think. Where's that going though? I mean. Are they, I guess we're about to do our predictions and who's going to live and die. The big one to me is, will John and Danny both be alive to still have to deal with this mess between them? And it would be too, pretty convenient if one of them wasn't alive, right? Yeah, it's almost like it's one of those deals where it's more convenient if one of them dies than if they both happen to live. That's, that's unusual. You know, usually it's more of a coincidence that everybody survives, but in this case, dying would solve the <laughs> the problem pretty quick. You know. But I do think you know they. I mean, again, John has been fine sacrificing himself for other people for a long time, and he, I think, he's going to be looking for a chance to do it in this battle. Um, so mm. we'll see. Well, I think the good guys are going to win, but at great cost. And I think we're going to lose several people, though not maybe as many as you'd think we should. I think the death toll will be high, but not astronomical. I think Tyrion was on to something when he said, maybe we'll live, you know. Um, so I, that's how I'm, I'm seeing it happening. What do you think? Is that too optimistic? Well, I mean, there's winning and there's winning. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there's a scenario where they win this thing and it's like they kill the Night King in the next episode. And that part is over. That's what I think is going to happen. Okay. I think we have three episodes left. Well, this battle could stretch over two episodes. Well, I think I think one of the great things that I love about this episode, season, the episode two was it literally took us up to the second before the battle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the next episode, episode three is literally going to be an hour and 20 minutes of battle. Yeah. Like and, nonstop back and forth. So I think you're right in that the ne the beginning of the fourth episode will be the aftermath. I think there could be some of the battle still going on. I think because they love the big dramatic cliffhanger. So the end of episode three could have been an entire hour of battle, 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 battle. And then all the stuff that happens in the crypts that we're going to talk about here in a second and trying to get the Night King lured in. And I think that like, I think the big cliffhanger of episode three will be the showdown between the Night King and Brand. I think it's going to stop there. Like the Night King walks into the glade and Bran is sitting there looking at him, and it's going to be like, da 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 bum And then we go to the credits, you know. So That'll I, be tough. <laughs> yeah, so that, that means that episode four will, the first half of episode four will be resolving that conflict, and then the aftermath, and that leaves five for Cersei, and six to wrap that up and say goodbye to everybody. Because I think you need almost an entire episode just to kind of, you know, it, it, yes, a hundred percent. You need to wrap up. Traditionally, on this show, the next to last episode is the big one, and then the last one is kind of like, meanwhile, you know, and then then and, you know the denouement, the the epilogue, right? And, so, and after this long, we deserve some epilogue. We do. 
Well, in a lot of ways, these first two episodes have been the epilogue of the entire series, just before the battle rather than after. Right? That's I mean, it's, it's like, here's, a, here's everybody getting together. It's just they get together before the battle rather than after. And it, it also tells me that if they're getting together before the battle, that probably means there's not going to be as many left after the battles to do it. So we had to do it now. I so, think you're right on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Crips, real quick. What do you see happening with the Crips beneath Winterfell? Because I think that's going to be a very important part of the... Uh, well, describe the situation there with the bodies and the iron swords and all that. So, the, I mean, the Crips are beneath Winterfell. That's where the Stark... Members of the Stark family have been buried for hundreds of generations. So there are many dead Starks down there, and they're buried in tombs under Winterfell. And they're buried, they build a likeness of each person, a statue, basically. And they put an iron sword with each person. With the, the idea was that it protected them from evil spirits or protected the spirits from escaping or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again... As, even as I say that, it sounds really stupid to not think about this when you're fighting an army of dead people. Yeah. Um, and it, it does bring up a question that in terms of the crypts and the larger army is, will we see dead people that are characters we have already known and care about that are now dead? For example, will we see dead Ned Stark? Without, without a head. Will we see dead Hodor? Will we wow. see dead Jorah Mormont's father? Oh, wow. Or other members of the Night's Watch? What about Caitlyn? Will we see dead Catelyn Stark? I don't think her body is there, but based on the, the right. right what's happened. But it, say it's there for, you know, I mean, in the, in the TV show sense, theoretically, I think her and definitely... Uh, Rob is supposed to be there, right? Um, but again, they cut his head off too. So I, you know, how will people react? Not just to seeing dead people, but to seeing dead people they care about. It's a shame that we couldn't get undead Joffrey coming to life, so we can see him die all <laughs> over again. I'd like to see his undead corpse set on fire. That would be fire. awesome. Just like animate him, kill him. Reanimate him, him and set him on fire. Oh, yeah. Oh, let Sansa have a have a flaming arrow to yeah. shoot into it. She could man. just shoot a crossbow at him and then <sighs> bring him back. That would be so great. Um, yeah, I think that... And they, they didn't they make a point of saying that some of the iron swords had rusted away to nothing anyway? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so maybe it's those specific... The older crypts where the iron swords have disappeared that the magic has faded and the and the ones where the current swords are will work but again you're going to have the women and children down there and the non-combatants hmm. um and and you know Tyrion and davos yeah uh, or they're just Tyrion and uh gilly well i think davos um, did say he was going to go down there because he was pretty worthless he i don't know there was a there was some well, convers- but I, there was a moment when he said he was had they had they they said Tyrion had to go down there because davos had to wave the signal torch from the wall or something oh okay um right. but the, like there was the whole moment with davos and the little girl um yeah where she said she was going to the crib so yeah that's right I, the bottom line is you're gonna have innocent people with undead inside the castle behind the lines before your battle plan even starts. 
So I wonder if any portion of the undead army is Stannis and his army. A hundred percent, it is. Wow, I think so. Maybe we see Stannis. Maybe Stannis ends up sitting the Iron Throne after all, <laughs> as a as a white. <laughs> um. Okay, and then last point. Where is the Night King? You make this point, and it's a very good one, that we didn't see him at all this episode. And they didn't see the dragon. So it would be neat if he was doing like a Doolittle raid attacking uh, King's Landing. (laughs) Blast Cersei. You're laughing. I am 100% on board with that. (laughs) I think he sends the entire army and all the rest of the White Walkers to Winterfell. He goes to King's Landing alone. It's already snowing there. Again, he makes a couple of passes over the city. He kills a bunch of people with the dragon's breath. He waves his hand. They stand up as undead. They start attacking the rest of the people and the guards. Oh, wow. he, you know, they kill a bunch of people. He waves his hand again. And suddenly, everybody in the city is dead except for the people in the Red Keep. And he just tells them, go get them. Man, that would certainly get Cersei's attention, wouldn't it? And maybe, you know, and then maybe Cersei and Euron run away on his boat, a ship or something. I don't think it's going to happen because nobody, because I don't want the Night King to kill Cersei. How about that? Yeah, right. You don't want her to die in a storm. Right. You don't want her to die in a hurricane. You want her to die being killed by her enemies that deserve to. But I. But I do love the idea of the good guys win the Battle of Winterfell, kill all the White Walkers that are there and all the undead and all that stuff. And they're grievously – the army's almost destroyed. Everybody's wounded. And then there's a whole other army of undead from the south. You know, it raises an interesting question. We've just been assuming that the final, final conflict in this show would take place in the Red Keep in King's Landing. But maybe she goes somewhere else. Although I do have this vision of Kyburn frantically chucking wildfire at, at hordes of zombies attacking uh, King's Landing. They do have that. A hundred percent they do. Yeah. Well, I don't know I don't know that the dead are gonna ever make it to King's Landing. I think they're gonna be finished off at Winterfell by the hardest, but it would be interesting. I think you're probably right. And I think that it would serve Cersei right if she had to fight them. But, oh well. All right, so our last thing here, and we'll wrap up for tonight's uh, big two-parter, is where we cover two episodes, is I was going to, I wanted to ask John, I want us to go through the list. We, we just kind of, off the top of our head, put down as many of the main, main and mid-level characters as we could think of. Do they see the end of episode three? How many of these characters are still alive at the end of episode three, the big battle that we think is coming up next? So, John, I'm going to go down the list, and you say live or they're alive or dead, and I'll say alive or dead, all right? And to be very clear, we're only talking about episode three, not the end of the show. Not the end of the series, just the end of the next episode. All right, Jon Snow. Alive. Alive. Danny. Alive. Alive, definitely. Tyrion. Alive. Alive. See, I think a lot of them are more going to be alive than you might think. Uh, Bran in his, in his wheelchair. Alive. I think Bran will definitely be alive at the end of episode three. I don't know if he'll be alive at the end of episode four. Then again, he may be vital and you can't do without him, you know, since he's like the computer system of the world now or something, the mainframe. So, But yeah, I think that Again, I, I'm gonna I'm going I'm gonna double down on my prediction 
that Bran and the Night King confrontation is the climax of episode three. Uh, Jamie, end of episode three. Dead. I think we need Jamie alive to deal with Cersei. So I'm going to say alive. <laughs> Tormund. Oh, we got the we got the story of where the name Giant's Bane came from, John. And it was Tormund. awesome. Tormund dead. <sighs> yeah, Tormund dead. I agree. Sansa. Alive. I think Sansa's the one most invincible character on the entire show and will never die. She's undead. She'll live forever. Uh, Arya. Alive. Yes, please alive. I'll be very angry if they kill off sweet precious Arya. Uh, Brienne. I'm going to say dead. She got her knighthood. She's lived. I'll say dead too. I want her to live. I, well, I again, I pick Jamie dead because I think if it comes to it, he will throw himself in front of her to save her. Yeah. Yeah, and I think she might do the same for him too. Could you right. way? Maybe they could die in each other's arms, and his last words could be, mm. "I should have just run off with you all along." And he, and then she says, "You're a big, big idiot," and smacks him, and he dies. Um, the Hound. Oh, he's he's the Hound has his <laughs> ticket punched. Right? There's no way he dies now because he has work to do. That's right. He's got Clegane Bowl coming. It's, he's got he's gonna Cle- be alive. You you don't you don't you can't. The universe will not allow him to die until he gets another shot at Sandor or, or Gregor. Which one is which? Gregor. Gregor. Gregor is, the, right. is the big he's, one. He's Sandor. Okay. Uh, Davos. I could see dead. I could see dead. I feel like he's important to John, though, now. He's become like John's sort of semi hand, you know? That's true. So I, in terms of like as a character, I could see him dead. But in terms of his usefulness, I think they still need him. I'm going to say alive, but I totally wouldn't be surprised. Sam. Alive. Yeah, Sam's got to live. He's got more stuff to do. Dolorous Ed. <laughs> no, probably dead. Dead. Cannon fodder. Got to have confidence. He's, he's a Night Watch guy. He's not. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's toast. He's, he's got no more use. Beric Dondarrion. A hundred percent dead. Hundred percent, hundred and ten percent dead. Yeah. Um, but he goes out in a blaze of glory with this sword. Uh, Theon, dead as a doorknob. Dead, there's Theon <laughs> does not walk out of that glade. I'm like the, in terms of probability of death, for me, it's Beric is number one, and Theon is number two. It's a strong. There's a two. big gap between them and everybody else. Everybody else. That's right. Theon is not walking back through that door. He is done. He is done. Grey Worm. Uh, Unfortunately, I think he's dead. You know, I think he and his girlfriend both are dead. You you cannot do the retirement planning right before the big battle. That's a <laughs> no, that's a no go. That's we saw that that was a movie in the eighties where the cops were like you know they were get killed because they got too careful because they they knew they're about to retire to Florida. There's a whole movie about this. Yeah, you don't. Yeah, you don't buy the sailboat in Florida before you do your last round as the as the beat cop. You don't. That's not good, right? So, um, I'm afraid they're dead. I I just I still feel like they need them to fight against the Golden Horde or whatever the name is. Company. Yeah. 
I feel like they're needed there, but I can totally see them dying just because I feel like a I feel like we I feel like for episode four to really work, it needs to be consequential, and that means a lot of people need to die. You can't build up to a battle this big and have everybody of any consequence walk out of it alive, can you? You yeah, just can't. I, you can't. Yeah. It becomes a, yeah. a parody of itself. Uh, Gendry. He's going to live. I, I feel like now that he's important to Arya, he has a reason to live. I think that before that, he was dead. But now Arya's aura keeps him alive. Uh, Podrick. Uh, alive. I hope he lives. I, I mean, I. <laughs> he's got to write his autobiography, iPod. <laughs> oh. Ow. Ow. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, I think he's dead. I think he's somebody that you can kill off and it doesn't really. Plus, he got to sing his little Pippin song, so he's had his moment now. Um, Varys. Alive. Yeah, he's going to find a way to crawl under the furniture and somehow survive. Uh, Jorah. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Does he give the, does he live to give the sword back to Sam or does Sam come and pick it up off of his dead body? Maybe. If he dies, it's got to be protecting Danny, doesn't it? Like a white, yes. like one of the white walkers is menacing her after she lands the dragon or something and he jumps in front of her, takes the bullet, something like that. You can't yeah. have you can't have him die unless it's in service to her. That's just the rule, right? One hundred percent. But oh. if it's, you know, yeah, I mean, if so, you know, a White Walker is preparing to throw a spear at her on Dragonback. Yeah, and he and he takes it. He he charges it or whatever. Oh, how cool would it be if the White Walker is getting ready to throw a spear up at her, and Jorah dives off the horse and chops the arm off with his with that sword. There you go. Yeah, and then the others jump on him and kill him. I just, I still feel like he can't just die in a scrum. He has to die saving her somehow. But I do think he's going to die. Let's see, just a couple left. Uh, Leanna Mormont. Oh, alive. And I'm just going to say, if she dies, we're going to burn the internet down. (laughs) She's too ornery to kill. She's hardcore, man. I love her. Uh, Ghosty. Ghost has to live. Oh, we love Ghost. He can't leave him out of seasons of the show and then have him die the next episode. That's just, he just wrong. He just shows up like, hey guys. But I do think like when John dies, Ghost will die. Like, oh, I yeah. think they're going down together. Yeah, that's fair. So if John dies in this battle, Ghost will die in this battle. I just, the, the one <clears throat> bit of dialogue missing from episode two was when they're all standing there on the parapets on the, on the walkway and Ghost is just standing there with him. And you kind of see a little thought bloom over his head. Hey, guys, I'm back. I took care <laughs> of all those undead rabbits that y'all are worried about, and I'm back. Why ain't anybody petting me? Where's my milk bone? Where's my Gainsburger, right? Come on now. I'm back. And they're all just ignoring him. He's like, man, what you got to do around here to get some attention? So poor Ghost. And then finally, finally... Uh, Drogon and uh, Rhaegarion, whatever his name is, the other one. Rhaegal. Rhaegal, yeah. Uh, the dragons. I, I think they're probably both going to live. Don't we need them? Well, ah, if, if, if those two dragons are still alive, 
then how does the Golden Company fight Danny with their scorpions, their catapults, their giant crossbows? I mean, I I feel like they the two dragons need to go down for it to be a, more of an even fight with Cersei. Not that I want it to happen. I want her, I want I want Danny to go down and just whip Cersei's butt up and down the street. But having said that, to make it interesting, right, I don't know that she needs air power. What do you think? I mean, I, I, I agree with your logic that it, it makes it too easy if she has two dragons at the end. Uh, but what if she has two dragons and, you know, only a couple hundred guys on the ground? Yeah. You know? And I still so. I, I, I need one of the dragons to be alive to melt the Iron Throne because that's my prediction yes. of how it all ends. hundred percent. I'm hundred percent with you on that. Yeah. So, all right. All right. All right. All right. That's episode one and two of season eight. Any last thoughts leading into uh, the big battle episode coming up in a few days? Uh, nothing other than, again, I think they've teed it up perfectly where it's going to be, uh, you know, whatever, an hour and 20 minutes of battle, 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 nothing but battle, super intense, you know, so many great moments battle, uh, and I can't wait. And I agree. And, um, oh, by the way, just looking at who's written these episodes, the one we just saw, episode two is the last episode we're going to see that was not written by Benioff and, and Benioff and Weiss. The mm-hmm. last the last four were all written by them. And here's a little interesting note. Their go-to director for character stuff is David Nutter and he directed the mm-hmm. last two. The next their go-to director for battles is Sapochnik, Miguel Sapochnik. He's yes. a great director. He directed episode three, and he directed episode five. What did we just say about the next to last episodes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and the one in between is Nutter again. So we have the battle in episode three. We kind of have a, an assessment recovery episode four. And then episode five is the big showdown with Cersei. There's Sapochnik again. And then... But Benioff and Weiss themselves directed the last episode, which I imagine is going to be like, you know, just the, the aftermath, right? So, all right. Um, programming note, stay tuned on this uh, network, on this podcast stream. Coming up Saturday will be Avengers Endgame discussion. Massive, massive roundtable Avengers Endgame discussion. It may just be me. It may be me and a bunch of other people. We'll see. Uh, and then coming up on the following Monday, a week from now, will be John and John and me, unless something horrible goes wrong, right? You and I will be back a week from now to talk about this gigantic episode three. So, uh, John, uh, we've made it through two episodes. We have four left. Uh, the show's going to make it. It didn't die. What do we say to death? Not today. Not today. Uh, last last tip 
we did a we did a death pool like the list we just did in my family. Everybody uh-huh. did predictions. So I, if you have a group of people you like to watch the show with, like do a little piece of paper and have everybody write down their predictions and put them away. And then at the end of the series, you can pull them out and see what you think. I like it. All right. We're at the Rockets going to get out of here for another episode, and we will see you guys in a few days for Avengers and then for Game of Thrones Episode 3. See you later, John. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment Production.